Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Between the Stitches Baseball Only Show Media Group. And it's hard to really articulate exactly what's going on in the world of baseball right now. This is a relatively emergency episode. It's going to be short and sweet and to the point because Carlos Correa is not going to the Giants. He's going to the New York Mets. But wait, how can they afford that? How is this going on? What? We'll get into it. We'll talk about it. We'll cover it. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's so, it's so ridiculous. We'll cover it all, but hopefully you guys enjoy episode 24, emergency episode of Between the Stitches, and we will have an episode of Between the Stitches coming out later today to discuss the gravity of not just this signing, but the rest of them and the rankings and everything else. But this episode is strictly designated and designed to talk about Carlos Correa and the impact this is going to have on the league. So hopefully you guys enjoy this episode and uh, let's get into it. Welcome to Between the Stitches, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Two former college teammates talking about what they know best, baseball. Let's go. Mets, the New York Metropolitans, Steve Cohen, uh, money, rich, famous. I, I like, I don't even, I, I can't, I, I still can't quite wrap my head around it. Obviously, I was asleep when it happened. So I wake up. I got texts from my buddies. I got the notification from MLB, uh, the MLB app. Carlos Correa to the Mets. Full details, 12 years, 315 million, according to John Heyman. Um, he's going to New York Mets. Everybody, I don't want to say... Yeah, everybody's shocked. Everybody's shocked. Nobody has nobody has a clue um, how the hell this happened. What's going on? What anybody else is going to do? Nobody knows what they can do to compete with this because it's not close. It's not close with the Mets and the rest of the league. And the, th the thing that's even crazier about it is not just the amount of money that they've obviously committed to their players, but it's not like over the long haul. It's not like Steve Cohen's been there for four, five, six, eight, ten years. And over each year, he's committed like a big contract, you know, five years ago, a big contract three years ago. Kind of like, uh, like the best way I can, the best way I can relate to it or make it, you know, similar is. Uh, like the Padres. It's a pretty good example, to be honest, right? They get Hosmer, 
And then two years later, maybe a year later, they get Machado. And then two years after that, they extend Tatis. So it's like big contract, a little bit bigger with Machado, really big with Tatis. They're building up, right? But it's not like all in one giant swoop. It's not all at the same time. And so the part that is so unusual, alarming, doesn't make sense, impossible to comprehend, is that all in all in this offseason, when you talk about committing total amounts of money, including, uh, you know, the the full length of every single contract because Korea, for example, is getting three hundred and fifteen million, right? So that's the total amount that's committed to him. The Mets have committed so far this offseason a total of three hundred fifteen million to Korea, hundred and sixty two million to Brandon Nimmo, one hundred and two million to Edwin Diaz, eighty six million to Verlander, seventy five million to Kodai Senga, twenty five twenty six million to Quintana, fifteen to Omar Narvaez. 14 to Ottavino, 10 to uh, David Robertson, which totals out in all money committed this offseason to $806 million to free agency. $806 million. Not to mention, not to mention, they're paying Francisco Lindor Basically, $34 million a year for the next eight years. They're paying Starling Marte $20 million a year for the next four, three, or four years. And they're paying Max Scherzer $43 million this year. There's all, those all were extensions or longer-term contracts or contracts signed before this offseason. And now they get... Correa, Brandon Nimmo, Edwin Diaz, Verlander, Kodai Senga, Quintana, Narvaez, Ottavino, Robertson. Then they got guys like Pete Alonso, who is an all-star caliber, top five offensive first baseman, maybe top three, depending on the category you look at. And he's just in his second year of arbitration. You got Jeff McNeil. Arguably a top three contact hitter in the league, top three second baseman in the league, versatile, uh, quick, really valuable type of a player, second year of arbitration. Um, they have... $20 million. The Mets have $20 million in retained salary that they're paying to Robinson Cano this year. And Cano is just not on the team. He's just not there, and they're paying him $20 bucks a year. So, after this signing, okay, here's, here's some uh, statistics on the Mets and some updated totals statistics, salary information, basically on the Mets, okay? The Mets projected payroll next year before the competitive balance tax, uh, before the competitive balance tax is implemented 
is $385 million. Okay. Um, it's about a hundred more million dollars next year than what was previously the highest payroll of any team in the history of baseball. A hundred million above what was the highest before this year. The Mets have at least $10 million a year committed to 13 different players on their roster next year. 13 players. The next closest is the Yankees with nine. And then after that, the next closest is the Dodgers and the Astros with seven players at $10 million or more a year. Like I said before, the Mets have committed over $800 million in contract money this offseason alone. That's it. Just this offseason, $800 million. Now, where it starts to get a little bit hairy and even crazier is because of the new, uh, the new collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners, they've implemented the competitive balance tax. MLB does not have a salary cap. It doesn't. But what they do have is a competitive balance tax, which means when you get up to the top thresholds of these competitive balance taxes, it's a, it's a certain number that you reach, and every dollar that you spend over it, you get taxed on it by the league. Basically, to let owners and, and teams know, like, you can go over it, but there's a penalty for going over it. So it sort of de-incentivizes spending over that limit if you're an owner because you don't want to spend all that money and pay taxes on it. But for Steve Cohen and the Mets, he just doesn't care. It's just, it's Monopoly money. It's like free, it's like a, it's a board game to him. It's like, uh, it's like he, it's, it's just, fake money like when he runs out he just reaches into the box uh and just pulls out more it's fake it's not real it doesn't exist it's it's fugazi it's it's not real so the mlb competitive balance tax here's the thresholds okay and again, we talked about the Mets pre-competitive balance tax uh, salaries, $385 million. In the, new collecting, uh, in the new collective bargaining agreement between the players and the owners, they uh, raised the thresholds of the competitive balance tax, and they did that. The players wanted that so that the owners would spend more and be able to spend more without getting penalized. So last year, the, the, the top threshold was 230 or the threshold was 230 million. So if you spend over that, you get taxed. This upcoming year it's 233 million. And it's a little bit of a tiered system. So a club that exceeds the competitive balance tax threshold is subject to an increasing tax rate depending on how many consecutive years it has exceeded that number. So if it's your first year going over the threshold of the competitive balance tax, $233 million for next year, if it's your first year, you get taxed 20% on all uh, on every dollar that you go over $233 million. If it's your second year, you get taxed 30% of whatever number you're spending over the $233 million. If it's your third consecutive year or more, 
going over the competitive balance tax threshold, you are taxed at 50% of your payroll. 50%. There's also a surcharge threshold for clubs that exceed the base threshold by $20 million or more. And again, 223 million is, or I'm sorry, and again, the, the threshold this upcoming season is 233 million. The Mets payroll is 385. So obviously it's 150 million more than the competitive balance tax threshold. And there's a surcharge threshold, char, uh, there's a surcharge threshold for clubs that exceed it by 20 million or more. So if you exceed the, 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 Competitive balance tax at 233 million. If you exceed it by 20 to 40 million, you get taxed an additional 12%. If you exceed it by 40 to 60 million, you get a 42% surcharge in your first year, 45% every year after that. If you exceed the competitive balance tax threshold by 60 million or more, you receive a 60% surcharge. Clubs that are 40 million or more above the threshold shall have their highest selection in the Rule 4 draft move back 10 places unless the pick falls in the top six. Random agreement number, then that doesn't mean anything. So Steve Cohen doesn't care about the charge. The Steve Cohen doesn't care about the taxes. He doesn't care about the surcharges. He doesn't care about the Rule Four uh, draft. He doesn't care about the Rule Five draft. He doesn't care about anything. He wants to spend the maximum amount of money that he is allowed to spend and can spend to ensure the Mets have the best product on the field and can win a championship. That's good as a concept, right? That's good. You want your team to spend money. You want the owners to spend money. What everybody was saying about guys like Peter Seidler, the Padres owner, and Steve Cohen early on in free agency, these guys that are billionaires, is that, you know, hey, Every owner, if they wanted to, could do what these other owners are doing. Spending a bunch of money, putting a really good product on the field. Every owner could do it, according to most people. And that's partially true. That makes sense for the most part. But I don't think every owner could spend $385 million. And where it starts to get a little bit hairy, okay, is because of all of the taxes and surcharges that come with spending over the competitive balance tax threshold in Major League Baseball, the Mets are paying $113 million in penalties for going over the thresholds in 2023. $113 million. That number in itself in penalties is higher than half the teams in the league's payroll. It's higher than 15 teams' full payrolls for next season. Just the taxes they're paying. 
if you add on the penalties, the surcharges, the retained salary, and everything else that the Mets are paying for next season, the total bill that is going to be fronted by the New York Mets to players and to Major League Baseball and penalties, the total bill is $502 million. $502 million. Every team has to pay uh, a specific amount back to Major League Baseball as a part of this competitive balance tax. It's also a part of the agreement with revenue sharing and everything else. And when every team's uh, when every team's payments in the competitive balance tax is leveled out, okay? Teams like Baltimore has to pay, you know, uh, thirty million. Everybody, I think, has to pay around $30 million, no matter what, like at a base for the competitive balance tax. So after all competitive balance taxes are calculated out, all the payments, all the uh, tax bills, all the surcharges, like I said, the Mets are at $502 million. The next closest team in total payroll and tax bills is the Yankees at $310 million. The Mets are $200 million higher than the New York Yankees. If you'd have gone back five years ago and told me that, um, I would have picked you up and thrown you across the room. There's absolutely no way. There's absolutely no way. Everyone's talking about, oh my God, the Padres are going crazy. Their owner's nuts. Their total estimated payroll and tax bill adds up to 251 million. Take that number, multiply it times two. You could have two Padres teams and uh, you could have two full Padres teams, the payrolls they have, the players the money and everything multiply it times two. And that's what the Mets are paying. You go all the way down to the bottom, the Oakland A's with the payroll and the collective balance, uh, the competitive balance tax. You take the Oakland A's total payroll, add up the taxes, competitive balance tax payroll and everything else. It adds up to 70 million. You take the Oakland A's and their total bill, everything they have to pay to players and the league. And you multiply it times seven, you get the Mets number of 502 million. You can have seven Oakland A's fully functioning 26 man roster and an entire minor league system as a whole. Multiply that times seven more. You can have seven Oakland A's teams. For the cost of one New York Mets team. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now. We also have to address the fact. That the Mets. Who already have a superstar shortstop. Are getting another superstar shortstop. So you're looking at a you're looking at a rotation next year that's something among the lines of
Verlander, Scherzer, Kodai Senga, Quintana, and I mean Carlos Carrasco or David Peterson. I mean uh Carlos Carrasco or or uh Tyler McGill, a lot of options. Looking at their available offensive players. So a designated hitter, they're basically just going to alternate between Darren Ruff against lefties, Daniel Vogelbach against righties. Those guys hit on the opposite sides of the plate, and Ruff hits righty, and he kills left-handed pitching. Vogelbach hits lefty and kills right-handed pitching. In the outfield next year, they're going to have Marte in right, Nimmo in center, Mark Canna in left. And if you look at their infield, you got guys like Pete Alonso. He will play every day at first base. Francisco Lindor, he will play every day at shortstop. Jeff McNeil has to be in the lineup somewhere. He has to be in the lineup somewhere. Jeff McNeil will not, not be in the lineup. And then the names start to fall out. Brett Beatty, highly touted prospect as an infielder. Where is he going to play? Eduardo Escobar. Switch hitting, productive third baseman. Is he available in trades? He must be. He has to be because where's he going to play? Luis Guillorme, super utility guy who played all over the diamond for the Mets last year. Where's he going to play? Ronnie Mauricio, highly touted prospect. Where's he going to play? If you're looking at the Mets and their infield, the way I personally would do it. And give me a second here. The way I would do it personally, knowing the speed and versatility of Jeff McNeil, is I'd put McNeil... I mean, I... McNeil can play the outfield. <clears throat> so... Maybe you just dump Darren Ruff, you dump Daniel Vogelback, or you hold on to one or the other, and then you start DHing guys like Mark Canna. You start DHing guys like potentially Escobar. You start DHing Jeff McNeil if he needs a day off, Marte if he needs a day off, Correa. But if they keep it how it is now, and it's a good problem to have for the New York Mets. But if they keep it as it is now, there's absolutely no way they're going to be able to play every guy that I feel like they should play for next year. They're going to have to dump a guy like Eduardo Escobar. They just, they're going to have to do it. Because otherwise, he's just not going to play. And he's too good of a player to not play. He didn't have a great year last year. It's kind of a down year for Eduardo Escobar. But he's an all-star caliber player. He's a switch hitting third baseman. So he's got a ton of value. And the crazy thing is, they might be able to pull off a trade for uh, him and in return just load up the farm system. But if they keep it how it is now and you just throw in Carlos Correa, personally and in no particular batting order, I would go Canna in left, Nimmo in center, Marte in right, Pete Alonso at first, Jeff McNeil at second base, Lindor at short, Correa at third base. And then at DH, 
in all honesty, I'd put Escobar at DH, and I'd forget about Ruff and Vogelback. Escobar's a switch hitter. He can hit for both sides. That just solves the platooning or matchup situation in the DH spot, because Escobar hits from both sides. I don't know which side he's better from, but Escobar hits both sides. And then they got James McCann at catcher. They got the highly touted Francisco Alvarez catching prospect available at catcher. And then again, we talk about the rotation. Verlander, Scherzer, Kodai Senga, Jose Quintana, and then my grandma at, at the fifth starter. Because it doesn't matter who they have. And believe it or not, updated updated MLB World Series odds on DraftKings has the Mets as the third odds-on favorite, the teams above them being the Yankees and the Astros. The Mets are tied with the Dodgers on World Series odds. And they've spent such a ridiculous amount of money I can't believe how much money they spent. I, I, I can't believe it. What does this mean for the league? It means, in my opinion, a few things. Number one, it means that Owners are going to be forced to spend more money because it's, if it starts to get into a situation where it's Mets and Yankees World Series every year for the next three, five, seven years, that's not going to be great for the game. But if it gets to that point, owners are going to have to start realizing and understanding you're going to have to spend to the level that they get to. On top of that, if the Mets don't win the World Series one time in the next, I mean, honestly, next year or let's say at least once before 2025. So next year, 2024, 2025, they don't win it in the next three years. Um, that is an absolute catastrophic failure. The other thing about baseball is that you can spend as much money as you possibly want to or can, and it doesn't guarantee you're going to win games. The Padres had a great team last year, a great team, and a very competitive payroll. But the Dodgers' payroll was higher, and the Mets' payroll was higher. And it came down to crunch time in October, and the Padres beat the Mets, and the Padres beat the Dodgers. They didn't beat the Phillies, but it, even in that case, I don't think anybody would sit around and tell you that the Phillies were the best team in the National League coming into the postseason last year. What happened was they got hot. They turned into murderers row when they played at Citizens Bank Park. And when they got those playoff home games, they killed everybody they played, killed them, except for the Astros. What I also think this is doing as a damaging factor to Major League Baseball is it's starting to discredit and devalue the player development side of the game, right? You look at Houston, they got Jordan Alvarez. Uh, player player that they developed in their own system. 
Altuve, player they developed in their own system. Bregman, a player they developed in their own system. Yes, you have to spend. You have to get guys in free agency. You can't just have a World Series caliber team without developing players. But the guys that contributed for them in the postseason, Kyle Tucker, um, uh, Guriel, uh, like n- none of these guys are just like free agent, throw the checkbook at them. They're developed, called up, high, you know, highly contributing guys. And with the Mets just throwing money at their problems, that's not going to solve or help the areas of their organization about developing prospects, drafting accordingly, making sure you get the right guys to fit with your team. Because if you look at their team and their payroll and their high, high contributors, right? Besides potentially, I think Nimmo was a hometown guy for them. The rest of them just aren't. At all. Scherzer's not. Verlander's not. Lindor's not. Marte's not. Kodai Senga's not. Diaz is not. None of them. I mean, really, honestly, none of them. Now you throw in Correa, of course, he's not a part of the organization or hasn't been before this contract. So I don't think that part is very beneficial for the league. But what I do think is good is the league spending a bunch of money. Uh, Players definitely deserve getting high payroll contracts. They do. Because the players, at the end of the day, are the, are the product. That's what we go to watch. We don't go to watch the umpires. We don't go to watch the owners. We don't go to the stadium uh, for fun to just sit around. I mean, maybe if you're, if you're a fan of, I don't know, not a great team with a cool stadium, uh, I guess. But for the most part, we go to the games to watch the players. We watch on TV to watch the players. So it's good for the game. It's good for the sport. But ultimately, a few things need to happen. Number one, in order to keep up with and be competitive with the rest of these teams, there has to be a uh, salary floor implemented in Major League Baseball. A floor meaning a minimum threshold uh, because otherwise these teams are just going to sit around and spend as much as they want with owners who are willing to spend it. And then at the bottom of the level, uh, you know, at the bottom of the barrel for Major League Baseball, the owners that don't maybe have as much money or aren't willing to spend as much, they're going to spend the minimum amount that they possibly can to keep things up and running and continue to turn over a profit. That's just a fact. It is what it is. On the flip side, there has to be a salary cap in Major League Baseball. There has to be. And that's not to say that Again, we talk about a floor and a ceiling. That means there's a threshold in the middle where those teams can spend and operate and be allowed to have their payroll. But when you have such a discrepancy of a total bill, when you include taxes and surcharges and retained salaries and everything else, when you have such a gap at 500 million at the top to 70 million at the bottom, There's not really many arguments you can make to me when you look at that size of a gap that would tell me that's beneficial for the game. It's beneficial for the team to be raising the top and heading higher and paying players more money. But the the total gap of over 400 million between the top and the bottom team, that to me says that there's not going to be a ton of competition between those bottom five bottom seven, bottom 10 teams, and the top five, top seven, top 10 teams. There's not really going to be a ton of competition. If you look at total payrolls for next year, 
right? And you're looking at just objectively who you're going to pick for teams to get into the postseason. Objectively, you're picking, oh, who's going to get in from the NL East? Who's going to get in from the AL East? Who's going to get in from the NL West, right? All these different theme, uh, different things. Look at total payroll going into next year. This is based on spottrack.com. And you're picking, oh, who's going to get into the uh, playoffs from the NL East next year. Well, I think the Mets will win it based on their roster and they're number one in payroll. Who's going to win the AL East? The Yankees probably based on their roster. They're number two in payroll. Uh, Phillies, Padres, Dodgers, Braves, Blue Jays, Astros. Those are the top eight. And I would assume based on the, especially the expanded postseason, those teams are all going to get into the postseason in some capacity. It would, I mean, I, I fully expect that. Um, and then you look at the bottom, bottom five, seven, ten. Oakland's thirtieth, Baltimore's twenty ninth, Tampa Bay's twenty eight, Pittsburgh's twenty seven, Kansas City's twenty six, Cleveland's twenty five. Besides last year, Cleveland just playing. Besides Cleveland playing out of their mind, and you know Tampa Bay being able to put out a relatively competitive product as well. The, the rest of these teams, you can pretty much guarantee they won't be anywhere near the postseason. Is that good for the sport or bad for the sport? I don't know specifically and personally, and I could be completely wrong. I'm not a, I'm not a, a financial analyst, uh, and I don't know. But what I can say is, if I had to guess whether it has more pros or cons— having such a discrepancy between the top and bottom, I'd argue there's probably more cons to that. So salary floor, salary cap, make it a little bit more competitive and fair. And in order to allow for teams, maybe if, if you don't want to completely cap it, if you don't want to put a hard stopping cap on the top, that's fine. But clearly the penalties that are being implemented and assessed on these owners for spending over the top and spending over the limit, clearly the penalties aren't heavy enough because otherwise uh, these teams wouldn't just blow past it. Instead of making it, you know, 20% tax uh, the first year, make it 50. Instead of making it a, a 35 or 40% tax in the, in the following years of going over the, the top threshold, instead of making it 35 and 40%, Make it 75, make it 80%. And if they go 60, 80, 100 million over the total competitive balance tax, make it 100% tax. It's a really big number. It's crazy, but it's going to sort of de incentivize throwing money at your problems and the richest owner being able to buy the best team and incentivize player development, drafting. And mixing in free agencies, because I think that's the best way you can build a team is you got to draft, you got to develop, um, you got to get good players, you got to trade for players when the time is right, leverage the prospects that you have. And then when you're missing a piece here or there, or even even a couple pieces, you you go out in free agency and you solve those issues with big contracts because these players do deserve it. They 100 percent deserve it. Uh, and as a Padres fan, I'm not like really that worried. I'm really not. I, I'm not sitting here like, oh no, the Mets are going to kill everybody. They're going to be the best. I don't, you know, it's it's not the end of the world. 
because I still think the Padres have a great team. And we just talked about how it's basically the same Mets team add Carlos Correa. If you take the series the Padres just played against the Mets and you add in Carlos Correa to the Mets lineup, I don't think it makes this like gigantic difference and the Mets just clean sweep the Padres. I think at the end of the day, pitching is king. I think timely hitting is king, especially when it comes to time like the postseason, right? Limiting strikeouts, et cetera. That's all stuff that you can't just buy or just uh, throw money at. That's stuff that happens on the field. So... Overall, I think the Correa signing is good for the players, but as a league in general, it may be one of those signings, and the Mets and Steve Cohen may be one of those teams that alters how these collective bargaining agreements go in the future. And it may come sooner rather than later. So either way, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode of the uh, Between the Stitches. We're going to have another episode later on, uh, shortly after this one comes out. And it's going to talk more generally about things like um, all the other free agents, the teams, the leagues, World Series odds, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we'll, guys, we'll talk to you guys on what will be episode 25. But hopefully you guys enjoyed episode 24 of Between the Stitches, baseball-only show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. And we will talk to you guys later thanks for listening to between the stitches follow phenomenal fan media on social media for more and subscribe on patreon for exclusive content